Hey everyone, welcome to 24 Point, where we talk about the tools, techniques, and trials of designing and developing software in a digital agency. I'm Jeff Rock, co-founder of Mobilux, and today I'll be talking to our director of branding, Rob Green, about brand guides. Does your brand have one? Why do you need one? We'll cover that and much more today on 24 Point. My name is Rob Green, and I am the brand director here at Mobilux. Great. And uh, how long have you been at Mobilux now? I was looking at it today. I've, I've been here for a little over eight years and six months. Yeah. And I met you, uh, we had a hackathon, right, mm -hmm. called RVA Hackathon. And you came in with a group, and if I remember correctly, you did a Flappy Bird clone with a bat. Yes, we did. <laughs> we did. And you did the art, right? I did. Uh, for, for, for those who do not remember Flappy Bird, um, it was a, uh, a game where the, where the bird, based on the pressure um, and the movement of your finger, the, the tapping, um, basically you could uh, leverage um, or uh, use, use sort of a, a launching off of these various hills that were sort of program, uh, programmatically generated uh, throughout that. So we made this clone of it because the guys that I was working with basically wanted to use the hackathon as an opportunity to learn how to build an iOS app. So they were taking an existing game um, and just needed somebody to uh, skin it, if you will, to make it a little bit different. So, so I was fortunate enough to, to hear about these guys that were doing it. Um, and, and was able to jump on that team to help with the design, um, which of course is how I met everybody at Mobilux. I met you, uh, I met some of the other uh, developers that we still have here uh, today, um, you know, over eight years later. So um, that's, how, that's how I met everybody. But you weren't doing iPhone programming or I iOS design on games. So what were you doing at that time? So... I have sort of a long, weird history about sort of the types of things that I've done. Um, but at the time, I was mainly focusing on branding, uh, print work, um, most of those sort of things. Um, I did work with a couple smaller agencies doing freelance, um, where I did um, some interactive design, uh, mostly websites and things like that. Um, and I mean, this was uh, this was 2012. Um, you guys had only been doing apps for a little bit. Um, so most, most people, most designers had no experience doing anything like that. Um, so it was not surprising that I had not done any of those sort of things. But um, really, uh, some of those freelance jobs where I was doing some of the web design uh, sort of got me back into the um, uh, frame of mind to want to do more interactive digital products, that sort of thing. And so when, when I met you and um, saw sort of what Mobilex was doing, it, it was attractive. Um, and so um, I wanted to uh, build some skills in that area. So, so that's how that works. Sure. And I think over time you, you did work on, I don't, I don't even know how many apps at this point. I mean, websites, few, yeah. <laughs> apps, <laughs> I mean, many, uh, many different types. Yeah, Did it all. Um, but now you're working uh, nearly exclusively in, in branding mm -hmm. at Mobilex. Yes. Had you had any formal branding experience before? Yeah, so um, my trajectory has been rather interesting. Uh, you know, I I am a uh, growing up. I had access to Photoshop and uh, Microsoft Front Page, uh, which was <laughs> how I built my first websites. Um, and uh, so I sort of had a a web driven trajectory. Um, and then when I got to uh, design school. Um, I sort of fell in love with uh, typography um, and uh, sequential design, um, uh, all sorts of uh, printing and these sorts of things. Uh, um, you know, I definitely had a more of a classical, uh, classically oriented design education um, to where you sort of build up a sensitivity for um, the formal aspects of design. So for me, um, I became a lot more interested in designing things like uh, logos and printed material um, and sort of seeing how a design could be applied to a wide spectrum of things. 
Um, so right out of school, um, I went primarily to a, uh, agencies that were focused on branding. Uh, so I did some advertising and things like that, but it was, uh, for the most part, designing logos, identity packages, um, doing print reports and things like that. Um, and typically, uh, there would be other folks working on uh, web design and that sort of thing. So I sort of found my niche there um, and sort of did some other web projects on the side. Um, so, so the smaller agencies that I worked with uh, before Mobilux uh, were primarily print, uh, print and uh, branding uh, type jobs. Um, so uh, coming to Mobilux um, was sort of a trade, <laughs> if you will, right? I, I had the opportunity to learn about mobile design, which was a totally new field at the time, um, and bringing with me uh, skills and branding and that sort of thing. So um, so I think it was mutually beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in a digital agency like MobileX, there's so much that needs to be done that sometimes you'll pick something up, a whole new skill, uh, that you didn't have before because it was a necessity that somebody do this part, right? Um, so I think it attracts people that like to solve problems, um, which is interesting. And I think that's why we have the, the people that we have in, in the end. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, if you had to guess, how many logos do you think you've designed in your life? Oh, dear. Um, there's a, so there's a difference here. There's a difference between formal projects um, and uh, there's, a, there's a difference between formal projects and actual things that have been designed, right? So if you have a formal project, you may end up designing 12 different logos, right? Uh, that, that may or may not suit uh, the final direction of that particular identity, right? And then when you design a, uh, when you sort of have a direction, there may be three, four, five, ten, uh, slight variations of that one thing. Um, so it kind of depends what you mean, right? Yeah. Um, so in that case, um, I surely have created uh, thousands of logos, um, yeah. tens of thousands most likely. Um, when it comes to actual formal projects and things, probably more in the lane of uh, 100, 150, something like that, um, which you, know, you typically get um, anywhere between five to 20 projects a year um, that, that you get to exercise that sort of thing. And then you not only have maybe, uh, you know, the, the product or the company, but then you may have 12 sub brands or sub products or something that all sort of have their own logo or that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it could be, uh, could be a much higher number than I would care to uh, estimate, but, um, yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute because there is that process of coming up with the mark, with the logo. Um, how do you feel about showing more than one mark to a client per se? <laughs> this, this has been a, an ongoing conversation um, and, and I'm sure it is for everybody. Um, I've, I've heard people, um, people, people put in their uh, intro presentations and proposals and all sorts of things to say, we're gonna show you this many examples or we're gonna show you this many directions. Um, and then once you, once you see those directions, you can nail down on one or two and we'll have three rounds of revision, that sort of thing. Um, I find that to be rather unhelpful um, because uh, the, uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think you're paying for a solution. Um, and it may take a thousand logos to get there or it may take... Um, or it may take a thousand ideas to get there, or it could just take one. Um, and so sort of uh, pigeonholing yourself to having to come up with 12 other uh, lackluster ideas um, just to legitimize the one idea um, seems like a waste of everybody's time uh, when we could be dedicating that time to refining and uh, making more stuff. Um, so, so I tend to think that... Um, it's a it's a process, and there might even be a time frame associated to that uh, process. You know, uh, giving giving a, a a bit of time to actually have those uh, ideas uh, flex, and you can reflect on them and and explore them and those sorts of things. So, in the end, we might present one thing. Um, in the end, we might 
present two or three things. Uh, it really just depends. Um, uh, really just depends on the particular project or, or how uh, excited we are about certain solutions and how well it seems to fit. Um, how well it seems to fit the actual uh, ask of the project. So, what is branding? So it's interesting because you talk to a hundred different people; they'll give you a hundred different definitions. Um, and and uh, the 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 reason for that is uh, that there is sort of an older definition of branding and a sort of a newer understanding of what branding is. Um, the the older the older understanding of branding um, is more associated what, with what you would typically call like a trademark. Right. It's it's what what are the what are the distinctive attributes of a thing that distinguishes it from another thing. Right. That's the brand. Um, whereas today um, there's more of a, a subjective idea of what brands are. Um, and so the sub subjective nature of branding today is typically how does the thing make you feel? Um, so what, what, what ideas are you thinking about when you think about a thing? Um, so, so when you walk into a Barnes and Noble, um, and you smell that weird book smell, um, it is giving you certain ideas about what that store is like and what that experience is like. That's the brand. Um, so, so there's a, there's the objective attributes of the thing. And there's how you think about and feel about the thing. Um, and so those things typically are sort of at war with one another um, in the way that people typically define those things. Uh, so we define branding as everything that people hear, see, and think about you or the customer, right? Um, the reason for that is that there are real attributes that make a brand distinctive. There are colors and typography um, and messages and all sorts of things that, um, uh, or, or I should say there, there are all sorts of things that people see, um, whether they be colors, logos, typographies, things that are, um, uh, things that are uniquely distinct for that brand, uh, that people see every time they interact with you. There's also things that they hear, right? They hear a tagline every time, um, your commercial comes on TV. They, uh, see that you're always joking um, or, or uh, that you're always taking things seriously. Uh, there's certain language that you use and don't use. Uh, and then there's also um, when those things come to bear on a person over and over and over again, it begins to create um, ideas and feelings and things like that in, in a person's mind. Um, so when we talk about branding, we're typically talking about all three of those things, what people see, what people hear, and subjectively what they, what they think. Um, so the goal of branding then um, is to manipulate the things that we see and the things that we hear um, to create a certain thought about a company or a person or um, an experience. Um, and so we're, we're trying to uh, help encourage people to think differently. Um, so that's, that's how we would define it. So now we're, we're talking brand a little bit um, and process, right? So sometimes the, the process of discovery to even figure out what the brand uh, is supposed to mean for that product or that company can, can take um, days, can take weeks. Can you walk us through that process of, of discovery for a brand? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so this is a... This is a big conversation um, in sort of the world of design and how, uh, how people decide what exactly they need um, and what sort of avenues they need to take to sort of accomplish different solutions, right? So, um, uh, for example, uh, one of the smaller agencies that I used to work for, um, all of the major decisions up front in terms of is the final design to fit the means uh, or, or the, the means by which the solution is going to be accomplished um, is all set up front by account managers uh, who say, oh, you need a report. Oh, you need a, uh, a website. You need a X, Y, and Z, uh, right? Um, whereas 
it's possible that the business solution that they actually have is better accomplished by a series of posters mm -hmm. or is uh, better uh, suited by a video that we could produce. Uh, or it's actually a problem that is really just a, a bad logo and they need to rethink it. Um, so so the, uh, it really takes a fair amount of design thinking and strategy and conversation up front to determine if sort of what your gut reaction to solving the problem is, uh, we can validate whether that's the right way to go. So if you come in and say, I think we need a new logo, we would want to stop and say, um, do you really? Do you really need the new logo? Uh, what's the problem with the old one? Why is it not communicating the way that it is? Um, and we would work out that through possibly a phone call. Um, it could be sort of a, a whiteboarding session where we really talk about who, um, uh, who these people are, what their customers are like, what their customers need, those sorts of things. Um, and sort of at the end of this whole discovery, uh, we would be able to be a little bit closer to uh, a, a, a clearer idea of how to solve something. Um, so uh, that really could be over the course of a week um, or it could be over the course of several months, uh, depending on how big the problem is. Um, if it's something that needs a lot of people to weigh in on it, um, if it's gonna, if if the change you are proposing would affect thousands of people's lives, or you know it would cost millions of dollars if you got it wrong, right? Like all those things sort of need to be assessed up front. So it's not a it's not a light thing to say. Well, we need to uh, change the entire face of our company. Um, it's like saying, um, you know, we we want to change our kid's name. Um, sure. it's, it's not, it's, it's not a overnight so, uh, uh, solution to something. It's something that you would want to think about and how that's going to impact the life of your child or, um, you know, it obviously has, uh, um, uh, effects that go all the way down the line. So it's a, uh, it's, it's sometimes a, a big change and a big problem that needs a big solution. Um, so it's worth reflecting and, and thinking deeply on those things. And I've, I've found that it's very exciting when um, a company comes in or someone comes in and they just want to, let's see, I want to start over, let's do it all from scratch. Yeah. And, and uh, everyone wants that project, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of restraint and this comes with, with uh, you know, time and, and knowledge to know when not to do that. And I would say when Colonial Williamsburg walked through the door and, and they, we needed to kind of help their digital product go forward. Yeah. Um, they had, I mean, they're mailing things to people's houses. They have print campaigns. They have, they have an identity that's pretty well put together. Um, but it needed to be changed for digital right. to take it uh, where it needed to go. Um, we ended up building that platform for them. But maybe you could go into a little bit of how you do, um, how you might alter a brand or amend a brand for, for digital. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, our tendency, like you said, as designers is, uh, uh, if or, or let, me, let me say this, if, if our orientation as designers um, is towards uh, self-glorification, right? <laughs> if, if, if I want to uh, be the one to receive the attaboy uh, for doing a wonderful job, uh, then my default... Uh, decision for every project or my uh, decent, uh, my default disposition is going to be let's burn it down. <laughs> let's burn it down and let's start over and let's create something um, that uh, is more reflective of where I want to take you or more reflective of me as a designer. Um, whereas it's not, it's obviously not what it's about. Um, it's about making uh, life better for the client or making it better for their customers. It really has very little to do with me. So if that's the case, um, if those things are removed, um, then actually I'm more free um, to find the best solution um, that is not reflective on how good or bad of a designer I am. Um, so that being said, uh, we can look humbly at projects um, and know that uh, maybe not everything that I think they should do is going to be done. Um, things that would make it uh, so uh, 
so pristine and formally correct and all those sorts of things, I can sort of take a step back and, and sort of analyze what is the most important thing uh, to handle right now um, and what is possibly most advantageous for them. Um, in the case of Colonial Williamsburg, um, they obviously did have uh, their hands in a lot of uh, different places. Like you said, they had direct mail, they had the web, they obviously have a in-person physical experience um, that has all sorts of limitations um, because they're trying to um, create sort of a period appropriate um, non out uh, that that's that has very little influence by um, superfluous signage and things like that. So they want to keep it a, a very um, uh, they want the experience to, to hold a certain type of integrity. Um, so obviously making one change could, uh, could affect um, the integrity of the experience. It could affect um, obviously all the marketing plays that they have going on and all those sorts of things. So, so we, tried to, um, we tried to step in and say, if we were to take some of the best things that you're doing now um, and bring them online, um, then there's a couple things that it has to do. And one of the ones that we've uh, fought for and, and worked a lot in and seen, um, seen people struggle with the most, possibly over the last 10 years, um, has been uh, all the sort of limitations um, that devices um, and sort of uh, normal uh, user experience type componentry uh, like nav bars on websites, app icons, all, all those sort of things that you think about. Where does the logo need to fit? Um, what does it look like when it's this small versus, you know, on the side of a building? Those sort of things. So, so we, uh, they have a, a logo, for example, that is uh, has a lot of contrast in it. Um, so putting it at really small sizes um, is fairly difficult. Um, so we talked about did did it need to be. Um, did it need to be beefed up or simplified in some way? Um, were those colors um, something that could be, um, uh, were, were those uh, colors able to be, uh, were, let me take a step back, were, were those colors, um, I'm, I'm losing, my, losing my frame here. This is a, it's more of a user experience concern, honestly. The, uh, whether or not certain colors uh, comply with accessibility standards and that sort of thing. Yeah, they um, may be correct for the period or signage, right. but that doesn't mean that they're going to work. That doesn't mean that they're going to work across a digital platform, right? Um, so, so we have to assess what, what sort of standards that they want to hold to in terms of accessibility and everything else. Um, and and uh, how, can we, how can we grow them for the benefit of the platform? which for Colonial Williamsburg, they wanted to emphasize uh, sort of the humanness of the Colonial Williamsburg experience. There's all sorts of different players that are on the grounds and that interact with guests and those sorts of things. And so to sort of have a, a more wooden, red, white, and blue patriot, uh, patriotic type palette um, that they were using before um, actually doesn't... Uh, really reflect the uh, sort of diverse nature of the types of faces and folks and even the types of buildings and all sorts of colors and things like that that they um, have in the physical experience. So um, we wanted to be able to just sort of expand their color palette. We wanted to refine um, the typography um, so that it made sense on the web and also had a, a link to the physical experience things that were uh, appropriate to the, um, the time period and all sorts of things um, uh, that, that obviously we could chase down any of those, those ideas. But, um, you know, it was, uh, it, was more, it was more about trying to, um, uh, it ultimately is more about bringing, uh, refining their brand, uh, it was more about refining their brand uh, to uh, better be represented in these digital spaces. Uh, and that's the next thing I really wanted to talk to you about was a brand guide. Mm -hmm. What is a brand guide and, and why do you need one? Um, 
because I feel like a lot of people go in and they think once they get their logo done and here's here's the typeface you're going to use and here's your palette and and they they they'll go on about their way but we don't do that here typically we right. we really like to get that relationship in place we like to uh, have that discovery period about you know where should the brand go what do you actually need yep. and then we develop it and our deliverable mm -hmm. is a brand guide yep. so can you tell us a little bit about what a brand guide is yeah. so so very simply uh, a brand guide is really a uh, a document um, that explains how a brand uh, works uh, or really just uh, explains uh, what a brand is like uh, how it goes um, how it applies in different scenarios um, and so it, it's a I like to think about it like uh, the manual, the owner's manual um, for a brand. So, so you like cars, Jeff. So it's like uh, you, you open your glove compartment and you have an owner's manual. And the owner's manual tells you um, all sorts of things about the car. It tells you what you're supposed to inflate the tires to. tells you what kind of oil you should use, what kind of gas you should put in the car, um, how long you should go before you... Um, change the oil or, you know, you have maintenance schedules, all these sorts of things. Um, and if the manual tells you to use synthetic oil only and you choose to disregard that information, um, it actually will decrease or even destroy the engine of the car, right? So, so this, uh, the, the brand guide really exists um, to uh, help the owner of the brand uh, to apply the elements of the brand, the typography, the colors, the logo, all these sorts of elements that are wrapped up in it, to apply them wisely across all the various channels and things that they do. Um, the point being um, is if we don't handle them properly um, or if we don't use them wisely, we actually end up compromising the integrity of the brand itself, which um, some people might not think that the uh, getting the colors right on everything that they print to be a big deal. But the problem is that people, your customers, um, actually build their frame of reference for who you are and what you're like based on their interaction with all these various elements. Um, so if you start changing those elements on them, um, it's like, uh, you know, it's like offering a different service every time they come uh, to engage with you. Um, and that's a really bad way to uh, build any kind of brand recognition. It's a bad way to build um, a consistent idea of how we interact with people. Um, so, so it's probably more helpful to think about it like an owner's manual um, because we, are, we already um, naturally see the importance of those things. And we, we already allow those things to have a particular function and importance in our life. Um, and, and, and if we, we buy a, uh, a cabinet from Ikea and it didn't come with the goofy instructions, uh, we would kind of be in a bad place. Um, so, um, so it makes sense that something that you spend a lot of time on and a lot of money on um, is something that is the first thing that your customers interact with. Uh, it's probably super important that we get it right consistently all the time. Um, so that's why we want it. And that's why it, it's sort of the final deliverable, if you will, on our projects that we do. So there's also a big difference, I think, between digital uh, brand guides and ones uh, that we've seen historically, right? Like I think if you look at some of the stuff Rand has done or you, mm -hmm. like the, the brand guide for NASA from, right, from right. the 60s, like you, you would see um, maybe every icon they were gonna use the whole time. Right. Yeah. But we don't, we don't do that typically now. We, we, we might define what icons should feel like or, or the direction and, and the way they should look, but a brand guide doesn't have to be, and in some cases can't be now, an all-encompassing document, a constitution for all time. Um, it, it, it's a little malleable, right? So what are some of the dimensions uh, when you build a brand guide that you leave malleable for the client or even the design team in-house? Mm. Uh, so, so this is uh, the, one of the wonderful things about the U.S. Constitution 
is the fact that it is a, a binding standard on all people, right? So when, when uh, we create laws, um, if it goes up to the Supreme Court, right, the Supreme Court's job is to consider whether um, the law, their, their, their job is to adjudicate on particular cases uh, to see whether they have constitutional validity, right? Like, is it, uh, are, are the things that are being weighed, um, do they actually uh, play nicely with the standard? Um, are they built on and um, influenced by the standard in such a way that we have a, a basis to judge them? So uh, the wonderful thing about the Constitution uh, in the fact that it works that way, it operates as a standard for all people, um, is that we actually have an amendment process, Right. Um, it's not. It's not so every generation can throw away everything. Um, it's because uh, through the generations, new problems arise, uh, new issues come into the uh, new new issues come in um, into play, in which we have to do some. We have to react to it in some fashion. Um, so, so a good a good example of that would be, um, let's say uh, we've, we're a company who's been around for sixty years. And now this thing called a smartphone comes out. How do we use that? Um, what does it look like for our logo that's been around for hundreds of years um, to make sense here? Uh, well, that's a new problem. Um, so this constitution, this brand guide, needs to be able to uh, flexibly interact with uh, new challenges. Um, so I like to say that if uh, your brand is ever presented with a new challenge, um, it has to be reflected somehow in the brand guide. That would be my um, my basic uh, my basic encouragement. Now, um, the uh, when I when I create brand guides, I, I typically date them. Um, so any brand guide that we make, you could find a, a note on it that says when it was last updated, uh, because it really it really needs to reflect a a, a point in time um, in a. Uh, showing that there's a, that the standard is continually uh, adapting to these new challenges. So um, this could be as simple as uh, we uh, maybe hadn't thought through certain challenges with the color palette and we need to adjust it. Uh, or the typography that we were using was not comprehensive enough to deal with um, all the foreign languages and these foreign characters that um, uh, we're using on some of our global media. And so we need to pick a typeface that is uh, uh, able to uh, grow globally. Um, so, so all those things need to have some flexibility to them so um, we, can, we can redefine them. Um, and additionally, sometimes those things just grow. Um, like uh, some, some companies um, will put, we'll put in those brand guides uh, how you make a business card. Um, or uh, how you apply it to uh, social media or something like that. Um, it typically tends to be the case that if you, uh, the more, um, possibly the more the brand is worth um, or the more it costs for it to go wrong, um, the more we explain um, and the more kind of rails we try to put on it so that people don't uh, find themselves uh, between a rock and a hard place um, when it comes to trying to uh, deliver the brand uh, in many different ways. I don't know if that answers the question. That, that gives me a good um, understanding of how you approach a brand. It, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book of law, right? Yeah. And you can amend the law, you can change laws, yeah. but you need to come back to the lawmakers and you need to make sure that uh, it's being done in a way that's been thought about on all these different dimensions. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's massively important. Uh, again, think about it like a constitution. Like, once you make an amendment, that's the law. <laughs> once we say the color is now X, right. the color is now X, and it cannot be changed. Unless we come back to the drawing board and say, uh, I think we need to allow a little bit more flexibility here, or we need to make a note. Um, because once, once it's in writing, if you will, that's the standard we operate by. Um, and that allows a lot of different people to have a hand in it, right? Um, if you didn't have, let's, let's say the entire guide was in my head, <laughs> which, which it is for a lot of people, right? Like I have a good idea of how the clients that we've worked with, um, I, I can, I, because I know the brand so intimately, I can naturally go out 
and make new stuff for them without yeah. having to consult a, a guide because because I sort of uh, know the ins and outs and I know the parameters. Uh, other people don't know those things. Um, sure. So if I want to allow an in-house marketing team at one for one of our clients uh, to make things for the brand, whether they're social media posts, um, print collateral, um, that sort of thing, uh, maybe it's an email newsletter or something like that, like they need to know what color it is. Um, they need to know if they're going to do a photo shoot, how we think about photography and what kind of things we're looking for. Um, so uh, that, that thing exists so lots of different hands and lots of different people can interact with it. And it doesn't just have to be me. Yeah. Um, but like you said, if you, if you, want, um, if you want to change it, you want to update it, um, it actually is better to come back to the framers of the Constitution. It, it is actually better to come back to uh, like a, a serious conversation on how we change it and we don't allow those changes to just kind of go uh, willy-nilly because that's, uh, that's how things get broken. And we don't want it to be broken. No, because we want because the brand to be successful, right? <laughs> we want them to be successful. It's not, uh, again, we're, we're taking, uh, we're taking the, uh, the personal feelings out of it. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what I think it ought to be. Um, I'm trying to make sure that we hold to um, these things consistently for the sake of their customers um, because we, we want them to interact well with these brands over time um, and we want to help push what they want to communicate. Um, so uh, it may seem like, you know, a little change that you make might seem like a good idea um, and it might solve one problem that you have. Um, but if it's going to create nine other problems, then we're sort of on a, a bad trajectory. And I would add that a lot of entrepreneurs and people that are starting a company or they, they kind of bootstrapped it and went fast and they went with what they had, they, they don't do this work early enough. Mm-hmm. And some of the ire that other employees feel in these smaller companies that are moving fast is that they they make decisions and then they're reprimanded by uh, the founder because they went against the brand, but it was never accurately uh, documented, right? So this document, as uh, you may not think you need a brand guide, I would say that every company should have a brand guide and you should have it very early. I realize it's not as important as the core product, but it is almost the second most important thing I think that a, a business can have to illustrate to customers, shareholders, internal employees. It stops arguments. It makes sure that you're clear and concise. Um, And I I think it's a big deal. Yes, it's it's not so much the brand guide maybe, but but it's what the brand guide represents. The brand guide represents that there is an idea. There is a clear idea of what this brand looks like, sounds like, what it's supposed to do. Um, So the brand guide represents we've thought about it. We came up with something and we put it in writing so we're not going to forget and we're going to make sure it's always the same, right? So if you were to go and, and try to do business without one, it might mean that we haven't thought about it, we haven't put it in writing, and we don't know how to use it. Um, so so it's really, it, it really just reflects possibly poor planning um, or reflects that maybe we don't understand ourselves the way that we think we do. Because again, then, then you get back to the it's in my head thing. Because the founder of the company says, well, I know who we are. Right. Well, what does that matter? I mean, no one else does. Because I, I can go and, and meet somebody for a drink and talk their head off about what we do as a company. Because I understand who I am, how I built the company, what kind of, uh, you know, if I made a product or something that we sell. Well, I was the one who invented it. I know it inside and out. So, of course, I know the brand. But the problem is I got 20 other people on staff that didn't make the product and didn't found the company and don't know how to talk about it. And so there's, there's no way to take what's in that guy's head and give it to everybody else so they can deliver it in a coherent, uh, uh, in a coherent fashion that if you lined everybody up and asked them, what is this company and what does it stand for, they could all tell you. Um, so, so, so it, it definitely, um, if you don't have one, it will certainly uh, reflect uh, possibly a lack of knowledge, a uh, lack of self-knowledge about the brand. Um, so, so it would definitely be advantageous to have one as early as possible. Do you have a favorite brand guide? That we've done. 
Well, uh, <laughs> either way that we've done or that you've come across out there in the world that you really respect. Well, I think I think you're you know you you pointed to like that old NASA one or or some of those old uh, 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 old brand guys of antiquity, uh, you know, as you might say, um, that really get. Uh, get into the nitty gritty of all sorts of considerations that we don't even talk about anymore. Um, the reason being is their problems were far different than our problems, right? If you're, um, if, if you're primarily concerned with the representation of your brand in print versus we are primarily concerned with the representation of our brand on screen, um, then uh, the shape of that brand guide is gonna be radically different right? Um, on this one, that's concerned with print. Actually, maybe the actual piece itself should be printed. Um, and if it's going to be printed, it needs to actually contain the colors that it says the brand represents, right? Um, if it's digital, um, if it's primarily a digital brand, um, it probably will never even have a physical manifestation. It will probably always be in a digital form, either live on a website or a PDF or something like that. Um, so just by the nature of the problems it's trying to solve, it's going to take on many different forms. So there's something inherently beautiful about a completely print, old-school brand guide that has a whole different sort of problems. Um, but then there's uh, something really interesting about all the problems of accessibility and sizing and responsiveness and all those sort of things that we've been talking about um, that would be um, sort of on the digital side. Um, we, we've done a, a, fair, a fair amount of these things over the years from uh, hyper simple um, to where they're one pagers that just say, here's the logo, you can use it in these colors, here are the colors, here's the typography, and we're done with it. Um, and there's ones that are far more reaching that say, um, this is what we stand for, this is our big idea, here's how we talk about ourselves. Um, we, we did a brand guide for a company called Allay, um, which is... Uh, a, uh, a migraine uh, soothing uh, green lamp um, that these uh, folks put together that uh, basically it represents a, a specific band of green light um, that helps folks who struggle with light sensitivity, migraines, all this sort of wonderful stuff. Um, so we created a, a really nice brand around it that included um, all the sort of the, the usual suspects, if you will. Um, a great logo, uh, wonderful typography, great color palette, that sort of thing. Um, but we had a whole illustration style that we developed for it. Um, we had a whole style that we used to uh, diagram the product and that sort of thing. Uh, and we did a fair amount of print work for them as well. Um, so we also included in their templates for um, uh, how the brand is expressed uh, across packaging. Um, how the brand um, works in stationary um, and how it works online and in social media and all those sorts of things. Um, so that's kind of a, a more recent example that's pretty exciting because it has, it has sort of all the elements. It has stuff about the voice of the brand. It has things about the, um, uh, the, the, the visual identity of the brand. And then uh, it actually spells out uh, how it is applied across some of those um, uh, various channels and things. So, um, and the illustrations and the colors are just super fun. So it's one that sticks out. Yeah, that's one that's pretty new and comprehensive, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but we've done weirder things. Yes. So, <laughs> the two 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 things that you've branded that I think most people wouldn't associate with you and with Mobile X getting branded. Uh, first is an airplane. Yes. So that's it's kind of an interesting project. Mm -hmm. um, how did you go about the process of thinking about how to brand um, an airline mm -hmm. and wrap an airplane? Yeah. Ooh, that's a big question. Um, so for, from the branding side, um, branding an airline is uh, sort of like if you were if you were to take a, if you were to give a hundred brand designers, if you were to give them, uh, their top 10 things that they would love to brand. Like for me, um, I would love to do a restaurant one day. I would love to do all the menus and, and think about the physical experience of the restaurant and other sort of things. That's sort of on my uh, brand bucket list, if you will. Um, probably in the top five for most every people would be 
designing an airline. Um, because mo most of the, uh, honestly, you look back into the history of branding and things like that, and, and some of the um, most important, the most of, historically some of the most important brands um, that people associate um, with or, you know, that are more, um, uh, that have more recognition, those sorts of things would be um, on the airline side of things. So, so it's, a, it's actually a, uh, a weird little branding honor um, to even get the opportunity to work on something like that. Uh, most people don't know we've actually done two airlines. Um, uh, and and the, the one that uh, people are most familiar with probably is uh, one that we did called Rise. Um, that was a, uh, a little bit different than what people would typically think of, of uh, when they think of an airline because in sort of this uh, digital subscription box type uh, economy that we live in, um, this was a subscription-based uh, private um, plane service um, that you could pay a monthly fee for um, and sort of have your... Uh, could sort of uh, one day go and fly regionally uh, to another spot and have a meeting and come home for dinner, um, which especially in private planes and things like that, it's almost unheard of that you would ever have, um, you ever be able to afford something like that. But it actually makes it affordable for uh, especially larger companies who work regionally and those sorts of things. So this was a um, uh, sort of a... Uh, I hesitate to say Southwestern because Southwestern is an or Southwest is an actual airline, yeah. <laughs> but it is a Southwestern uh, regional subscription-based uh, private plane service um, that that we um, uh, that we built the brand for. So, um, and that brand crossed not just the plane wrap and the identity; it actually moved into. I mean, we did a luggage tag, yeah. right, and a membership kit. Yeah. And there was a, so there was physical, there was digital. I mean, it was a all-encompassing effort that uh, you know, won a few awards. I mean, it was a, yeah. that was a fun one. Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing, you know, you mentioned the membership packet. That was sort of um, one of the things that we thought that would really, um, we thought the membership packet would be a really important piece of uh, the puzzle for that brand. Uh, the reason being is if you are paying for a private service, uh, it's 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 sort it's basically private. You're still riding with other people, um, but it's not like uh, you're riding on a plane with a hundred people. You're riding on a plane with six people. Um, anyway, but this uh, it's a it's an elite service. Um, so folks need to feel like they are getting an elite experience, um, and there's almost no better way uh, to uh, welcome elite customers. Um, than to make them feel like they're founding members of a platform. Uh, so we created a founding members packet um, that included a custom luggage tag. Um, we actually had uh, laser etched steel, black steel membership cards. Um, and then we uh, also uh, created um, uh, uh, referral cards that looked like um, vintage plane tickets and all sorts of things. Um, because it was important for that brand to attract a certain type of person, a certain type of uh, corporate folk um, that would appreciate something like that. So, so the, the, the founding member packet was uh, key to getting the people on the platform, um, and it was actually very successful in helping people, uh, helping people do that. Now, wrapping the plane is kind of a completely other thing. Uh, again, that's the... If, if, you, if you're talking in terms of uh, bucket list design stuff, that's, that's one of those things. Is, uh, it's one thing to see uh, the logo that you made on a billboard or in a TV spot or something. It's another one to see it on uh, a giant plane <laughs> taking off into the sunset. Like that's, that's uh, you know, I, the only step up would be on a rocket ship or something like that, that millions of people watch fly into space. Um, so, so I mean that's a it's quite a quite a thing, but but then you're um, it, it sort of uh, helps me geek out about all the wonderful things that you deal with with print um, or physical matter that you don't work with with digital things, um, which is they use a certain type of paint. It's literally aircraft paint. Um, it is it has a certain 
chemical structure that is specifically oriented toward those things, just like you would have marine paint for boats and all sorts of things. Um, and there are certain limitations that you have, like they have certain codes that go on there that have to be a certain size, uh, the number of the plane, um, and you can only use a certain amount of typefaces that have actually, um, that, that I guess have been approved by the um, FAA. FAA, right? So, um, so there are a lot of interesting limitations that go into something like that, but to actually see that thing um, in person um, uh, painted up nice with the with the logo on the tail and all sorts of things like that um, is uh, truly an interesting experience um, and and and, and uh, uh, very exciting as a designer to see something like that. Um, and also for us um, making making that brand was interesting because uh, there there really is a look to airline design, um, uh, and we wanted to harken back to. Uh, some of the more um, mid-century or classic airline styles. Um, again, that sort of um, uh, spoke to the more elite class of um, platform that it was, um, as well as give it a color palette and things that, that are not typical of airlines. You typically see lots of reds and blues and um, those sorts of things. Um, so, so it was uh, exciting from, from that aspect as well. So that's one uh, unique branding experience. Uh, the other one I wanted to talk about is a few years back, we, we ended up um, purchasing uh, a, an old post office from the Department of the Interior, <clears throat> and we, we turned it into our, our home. Yep. Uh, so you got to brand uh, a building. A building. A building, right. That's fun. So everything from exterior signage to uh, wayfinding internally, mm -hmm. um, uh, how was that? What was that experience like? Wow, it's a it's a great experience. Um, uh, the 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 most exciting there, there's there's two aspects to this that that make it a, a, a wonderful project. Um, the first one is it is historically grounded in the city that we live and work in, right? Like it has uh, the the historic nature of this particular building. Um, is, is very interesting. You know, we learned, you know, when, when we um, started snooping around the building and digging into um, uh, the recorded history through newspaper articles and all sorts of things like that that we could find, uh, digging through the National Archives, all that sort of stuff, there's, there's a whole, um, whole interesting uh, plethora of items and uh, artifacts and historical facts that sort of came to light through that discovery um, that, that were all then incorporated into the design of the building. Um, so so there's, a, a, in, on, on one hand, it's a really exciting project because uh, it allowed us to do some really um, interesting engagements with um, the historical data concerning this. Um, you know, and, and also the fact, obviously, that it, is a, it, is, uh, it was the first big old post office in Richmond um, and uh, it's very stately, um, and it's got it's got a unique history. So being able to take that over and not destroy it, right. but enhance it and and sort of make it even better than it was um, over the last few decades, having all these um, uh, sort of modernized updates that they've been doing to the building and stuff, we were able to undo some of them and 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 make it much nicer so uh so the the historical aspect was really exciting um and the other one again just from uh, a brand uh, brand standpoint is uh, that it is pretty all-encompassing um you really get to do everything like you said from um, the signage on the outside um, to what kind of colors are we going to paint it on the inside um, to what are we going to name the conference rooms and and we also had the chance to separate a couple different rooms and spaces within the building that we could create our own brand for like we created a brand for the movie theater that we have in the basement um, for the pool hall that we have um, and then we have uh, all sorts of other artwork and things that are um, uh, that reflect the history of the building and all sorts of things um, all the typography that we have in the building um, is not um, uh, is actually not part of our Mobilux brand guide. Um, they are they are all typefaces that were um, 
uh, taken from uh, the design of the building itself. Um, actually looking back through um, not only some of the, the objects that we found in the building. Um, so all the typefaces that we use in the building, uh, we made sure that all of them were created before 1937. Um, so that we have uh, sort of an authentic look uh, all throughout. Um, so, so we were able to, to really fine tune um, all those various elements so that when you walk in, um, not only is it uh, suit the needs of a modern digital agency, um, but it also uh, enhances uh, the historicity of the building. Um, it feels period appropriate. Uh, it feels welcoming. Um, and, and we were able to do a lot of um, uh, interesting, interesting things. Yeah, people were, uh, <clears throat> couldn't believe it when I, <laughs> I showed them what our intent was. They were like, well, why isn't it just all bright orange? Yeah. It's like, well, that would be, <laughs> we can't do that. We, we, talk, to, we, we, we did talk about putting an orange wall we at did. one point. We did. Um, and, and we've, talk, we've talked about, because here, here's the thing, you know, we, um, when you are trying to brand uh, a company and you're trying to create spaces for companies, right, in their offices and those sorts of things, you want reminders all over the place what the company's about and, and how they think about themselves. So, you know, we thought, should we put a big tagline on this wall? Should we, um, should we put a bunch of um, cool little characters over here or something that just remind us of who we are and that sort of thing? Um, but at the end of the day, we chose not to do those things. Um, we, chose, we chose to allow um, ourselves to be sort of um, wed up to the building that we're in. Um, so the, uh, building, the brand of the building and the brand of Mobilux are sort of uh, uh, united in an interesting way. Um, sort of, it's almost like we uh, are renting the building. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> or, and we uh, are. But it's I mean, also designed... Uh, as a space that only we could uniquely occupy. I think that's true, and it was a delicate balance. Uh, we worked with uh, the Department of Historic Renovation or Rehabilitation, and, and they had guidelines for what we could do with this building architecturally to, to change it. Um, and in the end, what their requirement was is that we could leave this building with minor alterations. It could be the building that was, was built during the New Deal era. Yeah. Um, and it, it wouldn't be out of place. And I think we did that here. Um, and it's strange to think about the fact that we're renting it, but in the course of human history, like right yeah, we're the tenants and, and right. Mobilex may be the owner tenant, but um, we won't have this building forever. It's, right. it's gonna go on to a new, new owner one day, a new generation. And so we really tried to keep the building as original as possible, right. keep the, the branding um, as, uh, tasteful as possible, um, and I think it was achieved. One, I mean, one of the other big things that, that makes this building special is uh, when, again, when, when you're when you're thinking about um, using and occupying a space as an agency, as a creative agency, um, most most of the time you are trying to figure out how can we showcase what we do. Um, to the clients and, and the folks that actually come in here um, to get a sense of uh, what kind of people we are, um, what kind of work that we do, um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and this, this building uh, is a, uh, a way for people to actually step into how we look at design. Um, they actually are flooded when they walk into the front door with... Um, how we think about spaces, how we think about uh, how people interact with signage. Um, you know, they get a sense of our sense. Of, uh, they get a sense of our um, a sense of our sensibilities. They get they get an idea for how sensitive we are to um, being historically accurate, or uh, uh, they they get a they get a sense of how we would implement uh, or. They get a sense for how we implement technology into physical spaces. Um, we have a lot of interesting, like little uh, technological um, advancements um, that only a company like us would even care to put in. Um, but it also reflects what we can do for people. Um, you know, instead of telling you 
um, I can make a cool brand, um, you're walking in it and you're looking at it. And when you're sitting down in a conference room with signage, uh, drinking from a mug with, um, you know, a logo and all sorts of things on it, you're, you know, you're, you're smelling the brand, you're seeing it, all those sorts of things. So um, it actually helps us um, show our clients uh, what they're going to expect from working with us um, uh, in a design project or a brand project and that sort of thing. Well, thanks for coming in and talking to me today. Absolutely. This has been 24 Point, a Mobilux podcast. If there's a topic you'd like to hear us cover in a future episode, email us at comments at mobilux.com. And if you'd like to hear about future episodes, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or sign up for our newsletter at mobilux.com. Thanks for listening.